Chapter 14 of The Fortune Hunter, a novel of New York society by Anna Cora Mowat. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Kelly Taylor. Matchless knave, what, not one blush of conscience on thy cheek? Coleridge. I cannot give her up. No human being ever before exerted such an influence over me. The very sight of her last night roused my every dormant feeling, and her image has ever been before my eyes ever since. And what risk do I run? Even should Esther discover that I visited her quondam friend, she thinks herself too certain of my adoration. She has not sufficient humility and mistrust of her own charms to become jealous the deuce take her i wish you would bring matters to a close when once the knot is tied i shall be easy however there is no present need of my making myself miserable the money i borrowed from those ursarous jews has temporarily settled mr badger's claims my only fear is that with his usual prying ingenuity he will manage to discover what other debts there are against me and it will be quite in character if he had the impudence to solicit their being placed in his hands and as sure as into his hands they do get he gets me into their clutches but what has that to do with aria the beautiful gentle peerless aria see her i will win her i must and for the rest trust to luck if fate befriends me i exactly i shall be the most fortunate dog that walks the streets thus mused mr brainard after he had finished poring over the newspaper an hour after breakfast before another hour had quite elapsed he found himself at mr lemming's door when it opened to him he had too much tact to inquire if miss walton was at home but slipping a propitiatory piece of silver into the hand of a domestic he bade her tell miss walton that a gentleman who had something particular to communicate desired to see her when aria received this message she hastened to the parlor in some alarm and great was her surprise on finding herself rapturously greeted by mr brainard you do not bring me bad news i hope inquired aria not entirely recovered from her emotion i bring you nothing worse than myself do not make me miserable by esteeming it evil tidings to hear of my presence was the tender answer i have no doubt that mrs lemming will be happy to see you mr brainard but she is at present not at home and if you will permit me to speak freely she prefers it that i should not receive visitors at all in the morning nor at any time in her absence but miss walton aria permit me to call you by that sweet name beautiful aria me you will receive and more than receive for you will listen to me have i not told you that i love you my only hope in life is to win your love in return. Mr. Brainerd, you have once before distressed me by speaking in this manner, and I flattered myself that my answer would have prevented your ever alluding to the subject again. But I know that you would relent 
when you saw my utter wretchedness. You knew little of me if you supposed that the feelings and intentions which I so clearly avowed to you a few weeks ago could have undergone such a total change, replied Aria. But you have not yet heard what I have to say, nor can I hear anything further, was Aria's determined answer. You will now excuse me, Mr. Brainerd, but I have engagements which render it necessary that I should shorten this interview. Good morning. Aria was advancing towards the door, but Mr. Brainerd sprang impetuously forward and prevented her escape. Before she could turn, his arm encircled her waist, and she felt his hot breath upon her cheek. At the same moment the door opened, and Mrs. Lemming, in bonnet and shawl, stood before the embarrassed pair. Mr. Brainerd instantly relinquished his grasp, and stooped to pick up Aria's pocket-handkerchief, that there might be some excuse for the crimson hue that dyed his face. Aria appeared overwhelmed with confusion, and her color varied from scarlet to white, and from white to scarlet. Almost with every pulsation of her heart, her very innocence made her look a criminal. Mrs. Lemming advanced into the room, and throwing off her hat, seated herself upon the sofa with the air of a judge prepared to pass the harshest sentence which the law would permit upon the two delinquents before her. As soon as Aria's tongue obeyed her will, she presented Mr. Brainerd to Mrs. Lemming as a friend of the Miss Clintons. Mrs. Lemming bowed coldly, and Mr. Brainerd was too much abashed to do more than return the bow, and stammer out something about his being just on the point of bidding Miss Walton good morning, as he had a pressing engagement at that hour, adding that he hoped to have the pleasure of seeing Mrs. Lemming again. The lady replied by another formal bow, and Mr. Brainerd took his leave. And so, Miss Aria, this pet, the favorite, the modest young lady who Mr. Lemming thinks can be trusted everywhere, this young lady, I find coquetting with a strange gentleman in my parlor, with his arm around her waist, and her cheek not an inch from his lips. If I had not inopportunely interrupted you, I suppose they would have soon have been somewhere nearer. Oh, you artful little hussy! You succeeded in deceiving everybody else with your pretended amiability and gentleness and affection, but I saw from the beginning that there was too much of it to be natural. I always knew what you were at bottom, and now I hope I shall be believed." "'Indeed, my dear Mrs. Lemming,' pleaded Aria tearfully, "'you did not comprehend the situation in which I was placed. "'Don't say a word, miss. "'I comprehended it only too well, "'and your uncle shall comprehend it also. "'As for Mr. Lemming, we'll see what he has to say about his favorite now.' "'Mrs. Lemming's voice was raised to so high a pitch of indignation that it disturbed her husband, whose study was in the adjoining room. The sound of his beloved Aria's voice in reply made him close his book and enter the apartment from whence the voices proceeded. 
Oh, there you are, Mr. Lemming. You have come just in time. I hope that you will believe me in future and think that I have some discernment. Here I found Miss Aria standing with a gentleman's arm around her and her lips and his in the very act of making themselves better acquainted. There's modesty for you. There's innocence. Isn't it exactly as I always told you? Indeed, indeed, Mrs. Lemming unintentionally mispresents. Do you dare deny it before my face, Miss? Aria would have replied, but Mr. Lemming turned to her and said calmly, Aria, child, retire to your chamber. There was not the slightest expression of mistrust on his countenance, nor of rebuke in his voice, for he was too thoroughly acquainted with Aria's character to doubt her. Aria joyfully obeyed his command. "'I tell you what, Mr. Lemming,' said the lady to her husband when they were alone, "'you must get rid of that girl as quick as you can. "'I don't want her in my house any longer. "'Her ladyship is a perfect mistress here. "'Instead of people's coming to see me, "'it's always Miss Aria they ask for, "'and Miss Aria they must find somewhere else in the future.' I am very sorry that you are so prejudiced against her, my dear, for, as her uncle has placed her under my protection, I intend that she shall remain here. And how does her uncle compensate you, pray? He hasn't paid you a cent for these three months, and I dare say Miss Aria, with all her dignity, is quite content to eat the bread of idleness and charity. Though her uncle should never pay me a farthing, she would not be eating the bread of charity, for she is continually employed for you. Be that as it may, it is my desire that she shall not be molested. Mr. Lemming left his spouse to plan ways and means by which she might rid herself of her offensive inmate. Aria's crime was unpardonable in Mrs. Lemming's eyes. She, a penniless, obscure girl, to receive more attention, more invitations, and a great number of visits than the person by whose bounty she was supported. It was unendurable, and Mrs. Lemming made up her mind not to endure it. End of chapter 14